This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. Well, welcome back to part two of our interview with Brown Mark. On the What Difference Does It Make podcast. Yes, we were very fortunate to have him on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. Brown Mark was in the revolution, I guess still is in the revolution, the bassist in the revolution, as in Prince and the revolution. So it's kind of cool to have that connection uh, and to talk with him. He's uh, very forthright and um, we're thoroughly enjoying our time with him. Yeah, we're talking about his his memoir called My Life in the Purple Kingdom. Which is out now, so please check that out. Let's get right back into our conversation with Brown Mark. One of my favorite parts of your book is kind of the, the stage presentation or how they kind of transformed your look. You you really did. <laughs> it was kind of, uh, you know, we went from Jerry Curls to... Uh, to <laughs> How did they change you up? What was your super, you know, they changed you into a rock and rock star superhero. What, uh, what was that process like? I mean, again, part of that breaking process, you know, it's like, Oh, you got to his identity. And, you know, cause I mean, I had hair down to about right here and, but it was a curl and you put grease in it and everything. And so shoulder length, shoulder length Jerry curls. Is that exactly. What so, you know, that means that the hair was twice as long, <laughs> you know, went down my back once it got pulled out. And uh, so he just takes me to a hairdresser named Alice, which is a very funny story I tell in the book. And because um, I, I, I understood where a lot of Prince's humor and a lot of Morris Day's humor came from. When I met Alice, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> now it makes sense. Because this dude was funny. And, uh, you know, he's like, Prince brings me in and I'm sitting in a chair and Alice is like, oh. Oh Lord! Oh, and he's touching my hair like this, and I'm like, I'm like, who is this dude, right? And he's like, oh my God, it's a prince! Oh my God, these cuckabees! I don't know what you want me to do with these, you know. And he had this really funny voice, and Prince and Morris sitting in his seat laughing. <laughs> and Prince is like, you know, just you know, give him a relaxer. I didn't know what a relaxer was. You know? <laughs> So I'm just sitting there, and he says, okay, I'll do something with this. And and he puts this all this white cream in my head, and it's burning. And I'm like, ah. I'm like, this is burning. <laughs> Prince and Morris are cracking up. My head's on fire. They're laughing. <laughs> and then um, so he takes me over to the bowl, and he rinses me off. And then, you know, he's combing through my hair, and it's like I look like a woman. I mean, he's combing my hair like, you know, you know, mama – Combs grandma's hair, you know, and he's brushing through it. I mean, I was just like, oh, what am I going to do with this? Tie it in a ponytail? I mean, I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> and uh, I go home. I wake up the next morning because I don't know you put a wrap on it. I don't know none of that. And so it's like all tangled up. And I look like I stuck my finger in a light socket. I look like 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 Don King on steroids. <laughs> Seriously. And my mother screamed because she thought an intruder was in her house. She thought a crazy man was in her house. But that that's my transformation story, you know. So what did you do with it? I, I put a hat on. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I had no clue how to maneuver it. And he didn't teach me anything about it for months. No. Uh, when we did the first video, yeah, when we did the controversy video, he came in with some scissors. 
Oh. He just starts. I mean, he doesn't ask. He just comes <laughs> in and says, let me just fix this. And he just starts cutting my hair. You know, he had this thing coming down looking like his in the front. And these sideburns coming way down here. And it was all short in the back and all. It's like, oh, my gosh. What? I look crazy. I look absolutely crazy. Well, I looked for the, one of my first questions I was going to ask you is if you have any pictures of immediately after getting the hair done because no, I wanted to, because to, no, no. I couldn't find any. You know, back then, we didn't know what Polaroids were and all that. That's <laughs> only for the rich kids, you know. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I mean, I just, I only have my memory, you know, so. Well, we do have the controversy video, which is, which is always fun. That was Did after the cut. There's a little bit of choreography to that. Is that just you watch Prince, what Prince is doing, and you just kind of follow along? Or was that choreographed at all, just little little steps? I was a dancer. I mean, I was a dance player. I never sat. And, and I remember he used to just ask me to make up little steps. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, for the most part, me, Dez, and Prince didn't do choreography. There was just little little spurts here and there where we would do a little movement. But choreography really didn't start coming in until 1999. That, that's when it was, became a big thing. Because he realized, he's like, oh, he can dance and play. Because, you know, I, I, that, that's how I played. I, you know, I, I entertained. I just wiggled a lot and did my thing. And he realized that, you know, that would look cool if the whole band would do these types of movements. He kind of gave me that job. He left it to me. And he said, you know, come up with some steps and show the guys. He'd come walking in the rehearsal. He says, what are you guys doing? And then he would join in and he would say, so you're doing this? And he would join in. And then, of course, Prince would add Prince to it. (laughs) And then it became a a glorified thing. Did you get the actual title of choreographer? No. (laughs) I didn't get any titles. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I just got the title of the bass player, you know. You know, he used to call me cutie pie. That used to make me feel a little uncomfortable. I was like, you know, why are you calling me cutie pie on stage? And all the dudes is looking at me like, yo, what's up, man? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm like, hey. Back then it was an uncomfortable thing because I didn't know anything about androgyny. I didn't know that lifestyle. I didn't know anything. I was very sheltered, you know. It was yeah, the t- well, I, the times too, yeah. But that's what you portrayed in your book is you know mm-hmm. you're just kind of this naive kid. He's 19 year old, plucked plucked from uh, obscurity and yeah, thrown yeah. you into this <laughs> this whirlwind. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you kind of learn as you go. Um, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Learn as I go, but as uh, mom, my mom would say, you know, you give it one thousand percent, one hundred percent. You give it a thousand percent. Like, mm, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, but I got it. I understood what she was saying. Go above and beyond. Yeah, was she the 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 bird in your ear about the doubt when he was starting to treat you less than great? Was she aware before you? No, no. Yeah. She only knew when I would tell her. I would tell yeah. her how he was as a person. And I remember when um, he met her for the first time. My mom was mean. She was mean. <laughs> And playing no games with him. She didn't care. I don't care who you are. She's called a little short that you have. You ain't going to come up here. You know, my mother was just like that. She reminded me of Medea, you know, <laughs> you know, Tyler Perry. Uh, okay. My yeah. mother didn't play no games. She didn't play. And uh, Prince used to laugh all the time. He loved my mother because yeah. she was just like, she was, to all my musician friends, she became mom to all of them, you know. Yeah. She seemed pretty tolerant, even though she was strict. She seemed pretty tolerant of all of them, all the guys that you brought home. Absolutely. She understood this. She understood how wild we were, how wild we became. (laughs) She was actually your manager, her and your friend, and your friend's mom were both the manager of fantasy. (laughs) By by default. (laughs) (laughs) I just took the position. I, I ruined her car. And so I became like the slave to my mother and driving her around everywhere. And so eventually, you know, she got a hold of, of my, my growth in the music <laughs> industry. 
And then she just came in and took it over. (laughs) Next thing I know, you have a gig next Saturday. I was like, what do you mean we have a gig next Saturday? You know, because you're going to be playing at the Nakarima Club. I was like, we already play in Nakarima Club. Yeah, but I'm taking charge. Now it's me and B. It was Beatrice. It's like me and B are taking charge. (laughs) It's okay. And so they got us a little more money. They were a little tougher. And so, I mean, it it all worked out. (laughs) I think everybody needs a mama Vader. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, besides your love of music, you also apparently have a huge love of cars. Yes. Uh, First of all, tell me about your 1974 Mustard Yellow Malibu Classic. (laughs) Well, after I, uh, I destroyed my mother's car, I mean, completely totaled it. Yeah. She, because illegally, I mean, I was I was driving illegally when I destroyed her car, but she never bought a new one, and I had earned her trust back. And I told her that I I needed a vehicle, I needed to get around, and so she she said, uh, well, she taught me how to go buy a car, and she <laughs> said I'll co-sign for you if they need it. She didn't go with me; she just taught me what to do. I went into the dealership myself and I, I purchased my first car and they said, well, we're going to need a co-signer for you. And I was such a hustler. And then I had a job at the pancake house. I mean, I, I had steady income. I had it all. Didn't know what credit was, didn't know what any of that was, but I knew that I had what I needed. And I went in there and I sold myself to the dealer and they gave me the car and gave me the loan. And my mother came in and co-signed whatever that meant at the time, you know, <laughs> That was, but I was like, oh, I get to drive this off the lot. So here I am, a 16-year-old kid with a car. I was one (laughs) of the only kids in the neighborhood, you know, that had a newer car. So you know me, I'm putting the rims on. I got curb feelers, and I got dice hanging down, killer stereo system. I mean, I totally decked this thing out. You know, I became one of the cool kids. (laughs) That was the first car. Yeah, that was my first one. And of course, you name all your bands uh, after cards. You got yeah, that's true. Maserati. You had was it the, the girl group was uh, Mercedes. Band, yeah, Mercedes. <laughs> what What are you driving now? What's your What's your uh, What's your I drive baby? A Cadillac? I drive a Cadillac. I never <laughs> thought I would be driving a Cadillac. You know, <laughs> look at you. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I I love them. Yeah, I drive the SUV, and it's just a yeah. great car. And when I I took it for a test drive, I was like, you know what, this. Okay, because I, you know, I was an Acura man. I drove the Acuras, and but then I went from Acura to to Cadillac, so that's where I'm at right now. That still seems pretty toned down from what you had been driving. Oh yeah, (laughs) hey, you know what? I learned in life that my manager used to always tell me, "You got to stop buying these cars." I mean, I had Ferraris and fancy (laughs) Jags, and you know, and he said they're dead assets, and I never understood what that meant, and as I started losing money and losing dead assets, I realized, okay, they don't give you any money back, but yet they deteriorate and their value goes down. So I started to learn as I got older, what that meant. Now I'm smart enough to realize that, yeah, I would love a two seater. I love the new Corvettes, but I've owned four Corvettes. I've already, I already know what that's about and what it felt like. I don't need to buy another one, you know? Yeah. I need something that's practical and it works. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. That comes with age for sure. <laughs> Damn it. Sucks growing old and learning these things. <laughs> I-, I wanted to find out how you ended up in Atlanta. That's a long story. Um, but uh, the long story short, my sister has MS and she wanted to move away from the Bay Area. Uh, but because of her insurance, she can only move into certain states that carried that particular insurance. Atlanta was one of the states. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, she came here to visit a couple of times. She said, yeah, I think I want to move to Atlanta. So I knew that uh, I know how my sister is. And we're very close. We're like twins. And so I was like, you know, I need to be always be close to her because of the MS and, you know, and I don't want her to ever feel alone. So I said, okay, I'll move there too. And that's how I ended up here. And then she never came. (laughs) 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 I was like, I was like, I'm going to wring your neck. 
you know. <laughs> but yeah, I love her. She's like, she's like my partner, man. Partner in crime. I ended up here, so I'm stuck here. <laughs> and then I come here and I get divorced, and so now I'm really stuck. I'm just like, dang, can't get a break. <laughs> oh, well, it's, it's a good a, a good place to be, though, Atlanta. I understand it's a good. Uh, yeah, it's nice. It's a little slow for me, you know, yeah. but it's nice. It's nice. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how long I'll be here, but it's nice. I like it. <laughs> and the music scene, how's the music scene there? The music scene's a little different. It's um uh it's not what I thought it would be. It's it's more um, you know, if you're in the trap and hip hop and right. yeah. you know, you could really do well here. Uh for what I do, you know, it's 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 a rougher you know, rougher go at it, you know, but, but I'm still working it. I'm working the scene. We'll see what happens. When you toured around the world, did you have a favorite city anywhere in the world where you're like, Oh, this is, these are the best audiences or they were really into what we did. Well, I mean, there's, there's cities that definitely had the better audiences. DC. No, I'm going to go first. Detroit. Detroit was incredible. Uh, You can't beat the Detroit Prince fan. They love it. There you go. Yeah. Hey, man, Detroit was just on fire. And then, you know, I think his name was Mojo, the uh, DJ. He's the one that really broke or exposed Prince to the Detroit people. And, man, they, they just, something about Detroit, we were on fire there. We would be booked there at a auditorium, you know, 10 nights in a row. Leave, come back, and do another two or three nights. You know, it's just, and I'm talking big coliseums you know i'm talking you know yeah you know i'm talking joe lewis arena you know we're we're, we're playing like isn't that, where, shows. isn't that where purple rain start the tour started there yeah, yeah joe lewis yeah i remember when we were watching mtv they had like you know yeah, like, yeah. that was they had like his first uh you know yeah i remember they were playing his, his shows at joe lewis and that was uh phenomenal. yeah we were we were there Man, we were there for over a week and left, came back for another week. So then we went to D.C. Man, same thing, D.C., but not as not like Atlanta, but D.C. was another, I think we did 10 nights in D.C., you know, mm-hmm. big, you know, big places, you know, packed, sold out. Uh, and then Houston, Texas, Houston right. was on fire, man. They, they loved them some prints down in Houston. So those, those would be like my top three cities. As far as Prince fandom, you know, I mean, they love Prince in those three cities. Amazing. And, and you also tell how during the, the Purple Rain tour, you were during sound checks, you were working on the Prince has already moved on practically. He's, you're doing <laughs> around the world in a day type sessions. Is this, was that surprising as to which the direction he was headed? During the Purple Rain? Yeah. Was that- yeah. We were already on. He was on this Beatles kick. You could always tell where Prince was going by his clothing. <laughs> yeah, you know, like uh, from the 1999, you know, he was into the, the whole Elvis press, you know, you know, our collars were way up here and, you know, everything was big and it was very elvis you know, but glitzy with the purple and glam and all that. And then Purple Rain was, of course, about the movie. Uh, and it was a kind of a spinoff from the 1999, a more glorified look. But then all of a sudden he's got the, the bangs, short hair. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? What are you, what do we get into here? <laughs> and, you know, next thing you know, he's, he's trying to put me in hip huggers and bell bottoms. I'm like, dude, I ain't wearing hip huggers. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, he tried to put me in hip, hip huggers. I mean, like the ladies be wearing where, you, you know, with the little uh, chain over my <laughs> Over my waistline, and I was like, dude, no, uh, I'm not built like you, Prince. You can't put me in that. I, I'll be looking a little crazy out here. And so, you know, we had a, we were back and forth, and he did get me in them, but, it, you know, they, they had a waistband. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but so that was this whole Beatles thing, you know, he was going for. Yeah. And after that, when we did the uh, the uh, Around the World in a Day, we were already now working on Parade. You know, we, so he was always about a year, year and a half in front of the next project. 
All right, we're going to stop it right here. We are still talking with Brown Mark of the Revolution, as in Prince and the Revolution, and we will be right back. I'm Christy. And this is Josh. And we are the Mountains and the Sea. It's a podcast about Prince and his vast musical output. We look at each and every Prince album. And ancillary material like fashion, videos, related artists, B-sides, remixes, outtakes. We choose a high, the mountain, a low, the sea, and a time capsule. Yeah, those are her dumb rules, not mine. Josh is a Prince superfan and has been since long before I met him. That's right, and I pulled Christy over to the purple side with my wit and my charm. The music helped. (laughs) Join us every other week anywhere you get your podcasts and happy purple listening, friends. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, Or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good. Well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And we're back with Brown Mark on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. When you came into the studio to, to make 1999 or Purple Rain or whatever, w- were the arrangements already set? And it's just like you, you know, he knew what, what needed to be done? Or was it, was it mostly Prince? Or how much, how much input did you have in the studio during those well, sets? I didn't start having any input until, 1990, until after 1999. 1999 was when he started bringing me into the studio. But um, our voices were so similar behind the mic. I I was never a lead singer. I didn't know how to lead sing. And so I didn't develop that until like Motown days. And, you know, I had this like Elvin Chipmunk thing going on where, you know, (laughs) my voice is way up here, you know. Um, So that's all development. But when he wrote a song in, you know, the 1999 song, um, my, my line was sky was all purple. There are people running everywhere. That's my line. And because he sang it, I already knew what it was supposed to sound like. So I didn't have to second guess it. I just sang it. And then, um, he goes, Whoa, you sound like me. And (laughs) and he says, okay, we'll do something different. And so he would give me a different part. He goes, and so that was that. I never sang in the studio again because he could just sing all my parts because I sounded just like him. I mean, I sound just like him. And so he was like, he didn't need me. And then uh, I wasn't doing bass lines until we started working on the Purple Rain stuff. 
And so when Purple Rain came about, he pretty much gave me my freedom because by then I was very, I was molded. I was, I was what he wanted. I, I, he built the machine and uh, I knew exactly what he wanted all the time. So computer blue, you know, he never said, okay, here's the baseline. No, he said, he'd come up with something, you know? And so for me, it was really easy because I had that free reign. Gotcha. Yeah. Every once in a while, he'd bring a baseline to me, like darling Nikki, you know, I had to learn that. And there was some other couple of lady cab driver that was Prince. Mm-hmm. And then I had to relearn that his style that that was Prince on the bass on the album. Yeah. So there, there were certain songs that, that he did, but our styles were so similar at the time. Yeah. Visually too. Yeah. (laughs) Was there a time where you felt like I should get song credit for this? Absolutely. Okay. And (laughs) in your book, Prince always says, I'll take care of you. Don't worry. But, Publishing wise, he did not take care of you. Was there any way to fight that? I'm not I, gonna I didn't that. know. I, you know, I didn't know enough about it. Um, again, you know, I was so naive, and then I was so stripped down and re- being retaught by him. You know, that everything I learned from that point on was mostly from him about the business. So. He's only going to show me what he wants to show me. So I didn't know a lot about how it worked. It wasn't until I left him that I started learning the business, really learning it. And, uh, you know, there were people like Benny Medina who who stepped in, helped me uh, a lot, uh, getting started with my production career. And, you know, um, I was able to do some work with uh, a couple different record labels that, really started teaching me how this stuff works. And then I had to hire a lawyer and I had to hire a manager. And so now I'm starting to learn. But during all that time period, it was a trust thing. I I had learned to trust him because I became that soldier. It was like, yes, sir, you know, and I trusted him with everything, you know. So when he says, you know, well, don't worry about it, you know, I got you, I'm going to take care of you. I believe that, see. So there were quite a few songs that you should have been credited. Absolutely. Absolutely. Songs I should have, beyond credit, should have been a co-write. Yeah. And uh, Girls and Boys should have been a co-write. I wrote the music, the the bass and drums to that, not the music, the bass and drums to that, that whole groove, which is the song. That's all me. I wrote that for Maserati, you know, but I never got credit for that. Kiss, of course, everybody knows that story. Never got anything for that. When the album first came out, I was so insulted. I had went screaming at him because it said it gave Dave Rifkin, the engineer, credit for producing and writing some writing. And I was like, what? You know, this is, you know, this is my groove. I, he didn't lift a single finger and play a single instrument. This, that was all my doing. You know, he, he did what he does best as an engineer producer, you know, he had his little tricks with the equipment, but the music, the, the, what that song was came from me and I did not get the credit for that. And it was like, it was almost like a spit in my face. So that was like the, the straw that broke the camel's back with my relationship after the kiss stuff. It deteriorated after that, the relationship. Yeah. Because I knew, I knew that it, I, you know, I'll never get anywhere as long as I stay in this. He'll just bleed me and I'll never get anything from it. And I knew that was the mentality. I don't blame him. It's just when you're on top, that's how you stay on top. So I never blamed him for it. It's just I had to make a decision at that point. He's got to protect his brand. He's got to protect, you know, the empire he built and you can't have another general trying to rise to the top. You know, he had chopped me down. And so I understood that because I came very aggressively once I started learning. See, I was a different beast and, you know, I had to make a decision, start fighting him or leave. And I just realized it was, you know, I had my time and I gave him my best years. And I said, you know, it's time for me to move on. And so we parted and he had a, he had a, like a really great respect for me after that though. 
it was almost like like he was proud that I took it so well, you know, and, and maintained the friendship with him and communicated with him. I mean, I never became bitter, even though I was angry inside. Mm-hmm. I never showed him my bitterness. And so I think, I think he had a lot of respect for that. And I wasn't a yes man. See, I wasn't like yes prince, no prince. Uh, if I didn't like something, I'd tell him, man, that sucks. I was like, man, that's whack. You know, what do we, you know, no, that's weak, bro. We can't do that. I wasn't afraid to tell him how I felt. And I think he liked that too. Because he has a lot of yes men around him. Yeah. You know? Yes, sir. Yes, Prince. Oh, that sounds great. That's wonderful. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> I, you never get that out of me. If I thought it sucked, I'd be like, dude, you know, why are you singing like that? You sound like Michael Jackson. You know, I mean, I, I would just tell him how I felt. And I think he liked that. He liked the honesty, the raw honesty he got out of me. And then when I left, it even became even more, you know. He even gave me a little room at Paisley Park, put a studio up in there. You know, I started getting some business. He kicked me out. <laughs> of course. So that's it's interesting. I mean, I guess you still have that trust factor when you were, I mean, you were, you knew about Prince because you were, when you had Maserati, you, it says you were wearing, a, uh, you were known as the shadow and, and you had this, this mask on so people didn't know who you were. Yeah. Um, but when the time came to sign this this band, Maserati, Prince, of course, knows all, and you know he's the he, he can see it all, and he knew what was going on, and you still signed with him. Yeah, I didn't know how he found that out. I was trying to keep it hidden from him. <laughs> you know, we we were getting ready to shop for a deal, and, I, and he got wind that that group was my group because everybody was like, "How is this group rising so quickly?" There's got to be something behind this, you know, because these guys came out of nowhere. Yeah, my mom's basement. <laughs> With all the knowledge that I was taking and learning from Brent. So that's why they looked, they appeared so polished. Yeah. So he knew something in the way they <laughs> dressed, the androgyny, the fishnet stockings with the ripped jeans and the hair. And he knew something was behind this and he found out it was me. And uh, he flew me out to L.A. and picked me up at the airport. And I'll never forget it. I was like, what's this all about? And he's like, you know, I know you have a band. I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> never forget that. I dropped my head and I was like, oh, man. How did he find that out? And then he goes, look. He says, us brothers need to stick together. <laughs> I know you have a band. We need to stick together. And he gave me this whole spiel, and I was just like, and I fell for it. I fell for it, and I was real reluctant. My manager was mad at me. He was like, you know, this is a mistake, Mark. This is a mistake. But for me, I was just like, that loyalty thing, I don't know. It just, I guess he had broke me down so far, and I'd become such a a soldier that I was still, you know, I had that loyalty, you know, he'd say, attention, and I'd be like, you know, and I still had that kind of thing that, yes, sir. And he he told me that, you know, we should stick together. And he said, don't worry, you know, I'm going to make sure it's right and blah, blah, blah. You know, I was just like, okay, let me, this one more time, let me just, let me give him this this shot, the benefit of the doubt. Mm. And it was the biggest mistake of their career for me to sign uh, with Paisley. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a lost classic. I, I still hear people talk about the mm-hmm. band, and you know what yeah. could have been one of those. What could have been? They they would have been the Black Guns and Roses. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, they were on fire. That group, no matter where we went, no matter where I booked them, they were on fire. They were on their way to be superstars, and. Next thing you know, I'm in Europe, it's stuck so, in a hotel so, room for many months. This is for Under the Cherry only, Moon, right? This is yeah. yeah. Only to come back and find that that whole the whole thing has just been like the legs were taken out from under it, and you know, and I had to figure out how to to patch that back together. You know, it was. Uh, the group was in shambles, and uh, it was almost like they lost their leader 
because I was nowhere around. And they started calling themselves Prince's band. They started doing interviews and they're telling people that, yeah, Prince found us at this and this, or I went to school with them. And, you know, and I was like, I'm hearing these interviews. And I'm like, what is going on? So it took me a lot to, that's my next book. My next book is going to be Rise. It's called After the Rain. (laughs) And it is, it's from After Purple Rain moving forward to today. Oh, good. (laughs) Glad that's in the works. Yeah, yeah. It's called After the Rain. And it's, there's going to be a whole chapter to Rise and Fall of Maserati because Mm -hmm. that's a story within itself that's going to blow people away because, man, I never been that close to success than with them. I could just feel it. We were like right on the cusp. Prince kept you in Europe. I know I, I want our listeners to, to read the book, you know, for more of the Maserati story, but he kept you in Europe away from the band intentionally. Uh, we had them in LA staying in hotel rooms at my expense, <laughs> a bill being racked up, not only just the hotel bills, yeah. but the cartage fees, the studio fees, you know, the limo rides, the, you know, everything, the per diems. And all of this was racking up against me. I didn't even know they were there. And uh, so a lot of stuff happened during that time period that um, I found out about, not just, not just with Maserati, I mean, some of my other groups too, man, just, just some real, you know, just underhanded stuff, you know, and I was like, wow, what is, is this a, is this a coup to destroy Brown Mark? You know, because, and I'm not just talking about the purple cam. I mean, I, I was dealing with stuff. Yeah. I was putting out fires with all kinds of other things that I was doing. Giorgio Alantini, I don't know if a lot of people remember him, but, you know, I, I financed this guy and moved him in my house and took him off the street. And next thing I know, he got, he got a record spinning on the radio and I'm driving down the street. And I'm like, wait, what, what just happened here? And so I started really quickly learning crash course in how cutthroat this business is, mm-hmm. you know, crash course for me. That was my wake up call. So that's my next book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I Happy mean, first in line in your mind, was there a reason that Prince pulled the plug on Maserati or? Well, Prince didn't pull the plug on them. But what happened was, I think it got to a point where it just didn't benefit him. And so he just let it go. He tried to do his thing, but they were loyal to me. Like he broke me, I broke them. Yeah, I broke them down. Their loyalty to me was solid. So he could not do what he wanted to do with them. So he tried to uh, start uh, taking them apart. try to form a group called uh, with Tony Lamont who later passed away. Uh, but he's trying to do a thing called the Coco boys. And it was with one of my members and Mickey free. And, you know, he was just trying to dissect it and pull it, pull it apart because it wasn't working the way he wanted it to work. And when I got wind of it, we were already, I was on my last tour parade. Only thing I could do is try to support them from a distance and drugs, alcohol, just, they lost their leader. I mean, they didn't have no, no, no direction, no support. Cause I was not in the picture. And, and so they kind of just fell apart. They fell apart by the scene. You know, I couldn't save it. I couldn't fix it. And I got blamed for, for years. I got blamed by those guys for a lot of the stuff that happened to them, but I, I wasn't even, I had nothing to do with it. I, you know, it was their record label. It wasn't me. So it's the way it was. Learning experience. Um, I guess you chalk it up to experience. Um, so, you know, and speaking of experience, so how what, did you enjoy the, the book writing process? What, I mean, it's completely different or is it uh, different than creating well, a song? I loved it. It's uh, my dad was a writer. He talked to me a little bit about writing and how it'll make you feel. My therapist, you know, one of the ones that said, you know, you need to, you know, express yourself, write it down, you know, talk about that stuff. Don't, don't keep it inside you because it'll, it'll kill you, you know, stress. So I started to let the stuff out. You know, one thing I learned in life, it doesn't pay to be nice, but, <laughs> but, you know, in writing the book, I was able to really start re-exploring a lot of the pain that I was feeling. And I went in alcoholism and I, 
uh, deep depression. So I fell off for many years because of a lot of the stuff that I was trying to endure and trying to cope with from a young age into manhood. And I didn't know how to process it. And so I started to write the book over a 15-year period. It was finally finished. He passed away. He knew I was writing it because I told him. Me and him had now mended a lot of our turbulent past, and we had become friends again. You know, I let him know. He would fly me out to Paisley Park quite frequently when he was trying to put together new bands and stuff, you know. And so he would fly me out. But me and him got to have a lot of deep combo, you know, conversation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I never got to talk to him about was how I felt about how he treated me back in the day. And that was the next thing I was going to, next time I saw him, that's where I was going to go. And I never got that opportunity. So Ah. So writing the book has to help that process too. I would oh, imagine yeah. writing this book has to. Yeah, like, that was what is it cathartic? You know, it was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, okay. Now I'm feeling better. You know, stuff is coming out, and I'm like, ah, I'm typing around. Mm-hmm. And and it was a job for the editors, you know, because I when uh, mm-hmm. her name was Carmen Carmen Hoover, and she started uh, editing, and she wanted to bring my voice back to the story because I had some other people working on the book and it kind of lost that edge, that rawness. And so Carmen was helping bring it back and she knew me back in the day. So uh, she could feel a lot of the anger, you know, in the book. And, you know, so there was certain things she was like, I think you should leave that out because of this. And so she was able to really make it to where it's readable and (laughs) not just a lot of emotions, (laughs) You know, right. she was able to like really bring it into that story form to where it was understandable. Your, your tone is very respectful in the book. You know, yeah. I mean, considering some of the situations you, you know, you endured. I mean, I know it was the good to go along, you know, with the bad, Absolutely. but I think found it to be very respectful. And, and um, I attribute a lot of that to Carmen, you know, Carmen Hoover, because she, like I said, she, she grew up in that time period. She used to go out with one of the security guards. And so she knew me, you know, she knew how she knew how I felt, what I was going through. And so she was really able to help me keep it respectable because that's what I wanted. I didn't want a dirty book. I didn't want a, uh, a book that's bashing. That, that wasn't the point of it. The point of this book is there's a lot you can learn about humanity, about, mm-hmm. you know, dignity and pride and owning things and rising above the the drama and the, the trauma that happened, you know. I had PTSD for a long time. <laughs> Wake up in the middle of the night, be flat, be flat. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, I have to say, I mean, this reading this book was just uh was was a joy to read i mean yeah. it was quite a journey you. you put us on and um we really enjoyed it and um <laughs> apparently quest love also enjoyed it he gives you the prologue and, and yeah, yeah. how did that how did that come to be i'm curious were, were you friends did you did you ask him to do it i i don't um i do know him but not as well as like wendy and lisa really know him but i got to meet him a couple times he's just a cool dude and he was so burst on Prince, I was like, man, he'd be the best person to ask. And so we just reached out to him, okay. and I just asked him. He said, yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And so we sent him the pages, the earlier drafts, and he read it, and boom, he jumped right on board. So I was really happy about that. Yeah, he did a great job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's great. He even get his support, you know, it just showed that he knew – he recognized me and he knew my struggle. That That's what blew me away is how well he knew my struggle before anybody else did. So, that, you know, he's a great researcher. You know, he's a, he's a musical historian, if you ask me. You know? Oh, for sure. So, you have, yeah, you should read his book. His biography is amazing. Yeah. Autobiography. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. He's always been a student of, of music, of pop music. And um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huge, uh, huge music fan. So, yeah, that, that's nice. That was really wonderful. I'm happy to hear that uh, you're you're still writing music. I just uh, you have that empty handed. I just listened to that, and that's pretty. That's a great song. I love that. It's really Thank cool. You. Thank yeah, you. really nice. So, are you enjoying that? And then, I mean, I, you you also played with the Revolution. Is that is it nice to have the band back together? I mean, consider, yeah, it's considering nice, you know, 
it's nice to be back in the music industry. You know, I was coming back about 2014, uh, making my way back. You know, my kids, I raised two, two boys. Um, they're grown. And so, you know, um, I didn't have as much of the, the weight on my shoulders because they were my number one priority to make sure that I had bonded with them. Yeah. I didn't want that. I didn't want it to be like it was with my dad, which I had no bond. So once they got to a certain age, then um, I was like, okay, let me try this music thing again. And then Prince passed away. It was really sad. And so everything kind of shifted directions. But the revolution now became more of a part of my new game plan, you know, because we talked about going back on the road. And then I would hold off my solo thing until after we got that established. So revolution's kind of established now. That's why you see me doing more uh, music on my own. But now the industry is so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> it's a different beast out there. It's a good time to be a book writer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so where do things stand now with the revolution? Uh, we don't know. You know, this Corona has really shut that down. It was something that I enjoyed doing. We did, you know, good four-year run. Uh, hopefully, it will continue next year. We'll start up again. You know, there's so many places we didn't get to go to. Yeah. yeah. Germany, Australia. I mean, there's a lot of people that we missed, and we really want to go back and play for them. So we have to see what happens with this. But in the meantime, you know, I'm working on uh, Brown Mark, and then I have my new band, the Bad Boys of Paisley. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're pretty, pretty funky mess. The cool thing about it is it's still trying to find the right fit musically uh, for the time. And Empty Hand, it seems to be the one that kind of put me in the right place. I feel really good about yeah. this thing, though. And now it's just pushing it, which is a difficult thing because nowadays you don't have a $200,000 budget to slap behind promo. It's like, you got to just do it the old street. Okay. So that's, I appreciate you guys even mentioning it, you know, cause that that's how people hear about it, you know, on all digital platforms, go pick it up. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Don't just scream yeah. and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. yeah. People don't realize if, if you don't buy it, we can't keep making it, you know, it's like, <laughs> no. You know, back in the day, it cost $40,000 to, to record an album or to one song on an album. Right, right. Nowadays, it's, you know, averages, you know, two to $5,000 per song. You put a five, 10 song compilation together, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 out of your pocket. Yeah. That, that's expensive when you got streaming services that just, they'll let people stream it and they'll send me a check for $6, you know. Yes. I got a check for $6. I said, you got to be, you got to be kidding yeah. me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's your life here. It's yeah. life's, yeah. Your life's work. And yeah, I know yeah. It's, it's tough. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, we've, we, we've taken up so much of your time. This has been really, yeah. it's been, it's been so much fun. We really enjoy this. But before yeah. you go though, we want, I want to send my condolences in your book. You said mama Vader passed away this year. Yeah, um, and it. it's obviously from your, t- talking about her she's still very much alive in your heart and uh you oh, know, yeah i mean this she, is a this book is a, yeah this book <laughs> is, a, is a nice tribute to her and yes um and a great tribute to the life that, that you led for a decade or, or more actually through you know yeah. all through your adolescence so um highly recommend picking up this book uh, brown brown marks my life in the purple kingdom available now lay down some cash would you <laughs> it'll be worth your while for sure yeah it was a great Support reason local artist <laughs> that's all i can say there you go i 100 percent, 1000 percent degree you put a thousand percent into this book so uh so <laughs> thank you do this thank you so much this was uh this was so much fun we really loved it thank you for joining us yeah thank you for having me i enjoyed it be we well. come back for the next book yes absolutely <laughs> yeah the next book and then i got a uh uh a fiction book that I'm writing based on childhood fantasies. And uh, yeah, it's almost like a Harry Potter type thing, but it's really cool. Spectacular. Oh, fun. You, wow. I know. He's got a set, 
Second. It's almost like the Sandlot kids, you know what I mean? You know, or the (laughs) Rat Pack or the, what do they call them? Brat Pack. I mean, it's a really cool concept for a story and it's based on true story, but it's pretty awesome. Yeah. You you guys are going to like that one. This is great. (laughs) I'll be first in line. I I love it. (laughs) Second career. Well, again, thank you so much. This was, uh, I I loved it. And we look forward to to hearing everything else from you. So please stay safe. All right. Yeah. Where you Keep at? enjoying Atlanta for yeah. the time that you'll yeah. be there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And to, you know, just so people know too, they if they people don't know how to get in contact with me, everything is on brownmarkofficial.com. Perfect. Everything. Oh, excellent. Thank you. We Social media, everything you could tap in from there. That could be kind of like the the gateway. We will lead yeah. people there. That'd be great. We will. We will absolutely on our social media. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Thank you. You guys take care. Yeah. All right. Peace. Bye. (laughs) Okay. So that was a lot of fun. I mean, come on. Wow. Yes. We're talking to a guy from the revolution. Brown Mark, (laughs) author of My Life in the Purple Kingdom. Um, He's got a lot going on. Uh, If you're interested, as he mentioned on our podcast, but please tell me again, where can I find Brown Mark info? You can find anything on Brown Mark, including, you know, links for the book, and you can check out his new music at brownmarkofficial.com. And you can also check out everything about What Difference Does It Make, the podcast, at wddimpodcast.com. Uh, also, social media, we're, we're pretty good on that. Uh, Holly's good on that. What, what have we got? <laughs> Where can you find us? So you can find us on Facebook at WDDIM Podcast, or you can just search for What Difference Does It Make Podcast, but make sure you include podcast in there. Exactly. Um, you can find us on Instagram at WDDIM Podcast, and same for Twitter. And now you can check us out on YouTube. We'll be posting little clips and uh, audio bursts. Yeah, fun stuff. It's new, so check it out. Yeah, it is fun, and we, we keep it all 80s. And I'm sure during this week, we will post a lot of print stuff and uh, a lot of brown marks. So there's always something going on. So please uh, subscribe, like, give us great reviews, and we will love you forever. So until then, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.